Hey everybody, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. Noah and Stu here. Thanks for joining us again. We're bringing back an alum who had some recent success um, back on the show today. So we're really excited about that. Before Stu comes on to introduce her, it's my job to tell you thanks for supporting this podcast. There are several ways to do it in the show notes below. Those include Venmo or Patreon if you want to support this podcast monthly. We really appreciate support from donors. It helps us grow our coverage of Division Three running past and present. So if you've donated to the show, thank you very much. If you're not prepared or willing to donate to the show, that's totally cool. You can help us just by downloading, listening, sharing the episodes with friends. That helps us grow the world of D3 Glory Days. Before we get any further into this episode, I just want to make sensitive listeners aware that this episode does discuss eating disorders and disordered eating. So if that's something that's triggering for you, you might want to sit this one out. Stu, why don't you introduce today's guest? Yeah, today we're joined by three-time Division Three champion, newly minted Olympic marathon trials qualifier, a.k.a. she ran an OTQ at the Carmel Marathon running 233, and that is Harley Hannon. Harley graduated from Ithaca back in 2021, and from there she was trying to find herself in life and in running. She's had ups and downs throughout her running journey post-collegiately. She takes us through what her training looked like during her low times, and she even says not to glorify it as she did the Cam Levens-style training, running 200-plus miles at the time. She's very honest and open about her struggles with disordered eating, but also tells us where she is now and how this race brought her hope and happiness for the first time in a while and how running was able to be that shining light for her right now. We're truly thankful for Parley's honesty and being open with us. We know it's a difficult subject to talk about, especially as it's right in the moment for her right now, but on the bright side, she's very excited of what her running could look like here in the future. She has big goals ahead, already has her next marathon lined up for Berlin. I forgot to mention, this was her debut marathon. So she's a brand new marathoner, already running an Olympic trials qualifier, and she's fired up to see what comes next. Yeah, I think a lot of conversations about struggle or interviews with people who are struggling with something kind of occur either like, you know, in the very early stages or in the very late stages. And so I'm really thankful that Parley came on kind of in the middle of her story to have an honest discussion with us. Um, But we're definitely excited to celebrate her recent achievements in this podcast, uh, which is her really well in the future. With all that said, Stu and I are going to step aside and bring you the interview. I'll catch up with you briefly when it's over. Until then, here's to the glory days. All right, welcome back to D3 Glory Days, fresh off an Olympic trials qualifier and one of our original top 10 guests. Number eight, we had to go back and look at it. Harley Hannon, the three-time D3 champ, is back to chat through Carmel Marathon. Harley, welcome back to D3 Glory Days. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You're back. Fresh off an OTQ, and I think maybe the bigger performance of the weekend is you driving back from Indiana. How was that after running a marathon, having to drive back? 
Honestly, it was not, not bad. I mean, I'm used to like being on the road a lot and driving a lot and I broke it up. So I, uh, um, just like stopped and saw friends in New York and, uh, you know, yeah, I really didn't mind it. It was kind of nice to kind of have some time to, I want to say like soak it in and reflect, but like, I still don't feel like I've fully done that. Um, but I definitely just made the effort to get out and move my legs and, um, you know, stopped at a Planet Fitness on the way back to get some like little cross training in to kind of, yeah, just keep those legs moving. I didn't want them to, I don't know. I, I This is my first marathon, so I don't really have anything to compare it to, but I imagine like running a marathon and sitting for like, hours and or days after is probably not not the move but I could be wrong so you've been kind of flying under the radar I think if people were you know following you on social media or whatever they might not know that you had been training for a marathon this whole time can you kind of talk about the decision maybe one to run a marathon but two the decision to run Carmel yeah I, I laugh when you say like you know, no one really knew you were training for a marathon because I didn't even really know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I've, I've always been like a high mileage person and, um, you know, I think post-college, um, kind of like running and just life hit me harder than I thought, you know, everyone's like, Oh, like once you graduate, it's like, it's the real world. And I'm like, ah, nah, it's gonna be great. And it definitely wasn't. <laughs> um, and so I kind of, you know, dealt with my problems by, um, with other things, but a big uh, part of it was running for sure. And so, yeah, just kept up like very, like very high mileage, um, kind of like since the get go, but. Um, Can you be like specific when you talk about being a high mileage person and kind of how much you were running and training? Yeah, so um, during like the worst kind of times, it was like probably around like two ten. Um, I wait miles, miles or kilometers. Yeah, miles. Um, so you were doing like Cam Levin's ultra mileage. I would wake up every morning and run thirty miles, and then go work a like a nine to five job. Um, and that led me to eating disorder treatment that and a lot of other things. And so that was like my fall after graduating when I decided to go away to, um, treatment and, um, I went to, uh, out to Denver where Allie Ostrander went, um, it's like in a, for like elite athletes. And I did that for a couple months, um, felt like I got to a relatively like a, a much better place um and then kind of started training again and then around then I was probably sitting more around like you know 140 and um trying to do like cross training um when I wanted to run more um and then shortly after that I and I was training with um Kurt Bettinger, um, Molly Huddle's husband, he was like, give me training, training plans. And then honestly, I did that for a couple months and I just stopped running. I just was like, I'm done with this. I'm burnt out. I'm just was really sad, struggled to get out of bed. Um, and, uh, it was like hot summer and I'm like, I can't like, 
like I, I don't I don't I'm not motivated to get out and run in 90 degree weather and um, let alone get up in general so I stopped running for a bit and then um I but I would still do intense cardio so I'd go on the elliptical for like mo I would say around like three hours a day and then I decided to do the beach to beacon because my family does it every year and that was my first run back was a race um and that kind of gave me like a like oh I like I, I miss running like maybe I'll start it again and so then I uh, that was the summer when I I think I, I had texted you Noah because you had been there um and then I slowly have been getting back into running since and my goal with that was um to obviously just you know get back into running but just to start to like find a a joy in it again because I really like hated it I was just doing it because I just like it was just torture is definitely not the right word but it was just like I I was just doing it for the grind I was doing it because I like I wanted to like quiet my mind and it was such a good way of doing that um and then I guess I wasn't really until this um you know this year that I uh really really started to get back into it and really enjoy it and um that being said and I've thought about this for like a you know I want to be fully raw and honest on this podcast um though I don't want to glorify my training in any um capacity because I don't really think it's um healthy for anyone to be honest um but I was essentially running for like two hours a day and then I'd go on the elliptical for like two hours later on in the day so that's um generally what my training looked um like up to the marathon um for the past um, five months has just been really that it's been two hours on feet or on the ground running and then two hours on the elliptical some days I would bike and not elliptical some days I would maybe do closer to two hour, just like just a two hour run um but since I quit my job last fall um when I really wasn't doing well um I just had nothing but time on my hands um and uh you know I've just been running and exercising and um then I uh basically was rec like told to do this really cool 20 mile race a couple weeks ago and I randomly signed up for it um to do it with my friend she ended up not being able to do it because she had got COVID but I did it so I um yeah I got back from Mexico at like 2 a.m and then went drove to Maine to do this race at like 7 a.m did it and realized I did it at OTQ pace um and that was kind of like in really heavy winds and that was kind of an indicator like oh shit like Carly you're I, like I mean you're kind of I don't know your your training's in a place that you weren't really didn't really know it was at and so I uh looked into marathons I was just like why not just give it a go and uh I for about a week was looking into marathons and then about like eight days before Carmel found Carmel and signed up and sent the guy I don't know the director an email and asking if I could be in the like elite field honestly just because I thought I'd get 
water bottle access like stations and stuff but turns out at a small marathon like that that doesn't happen so but I got access to a cool lounge and met really cool like some some people which was nice but yeah I didn't know I was training a marathon until two weeks before the marathon and uh I guess that's kind of (laughs) the parley way as like my dad likes to say it um and yeah, I know it was like a long-winded answer to your, what's your training been looked like? <laughs> I felt like it was a really hard for me to get there without giving you kind of that backstory. Yeah, but training, basically lots of two-hour runs, extra cardio on the elliptical. Um, and then in terms of workouts, there was none. Um, besides I would occasionally pick up a long run. And by that, I mean, occasionally I would run 6.30-ish pace for 15 miles of my long run or 20 miles of my long run. And so that that's it. Everything else was like easy runs um, or not necessarily like easy, but like, you know, seven, 7.30 pace, that stuff. So that has been my training. Appreciate, you know, the honesty here and we'll probably, you know, pick apart a little bit of each thing you said, I think there's a lot of stories that we can go in each and every direction. I think we'll stick potentially with the race now and kind of get into other things in a little bit here, but given that you weren't doing any sort of workouts, you ran a 20 miler at OTQ pace. Like, did you have any idea of what you could run? Cause if you're just, you know, running two hours a day and maybe running 630 pace, like, do you have an idea of your fitness or is that 20 mile, like the only indicator of where you were at? I think the 20 miler was like pretty much the only indicator of like, yeah, where I was at, because I was also, wasn't really trying to see where I was at. You know, I, uh, I, I hadn't, I kind of written off like pro running or things like that off, like kind of the docket. Um, so, and then like the best thing about the 20 miler and the marathon besides the times was just how good I felt. Like I've, I honestly like kid you not, don't think I've ever felt better during a race than the 20 miler and that marathon more so the 20 miler, but the marathon was definitely up there. Um, and that just brought me to tears in both races. So did you use then the OTQ pace as like what you're going to do? Like, how did you know how to run this marathon? If you didn't really know where you're at, I think people are going to be like, wait a second, you just showed up to the marathon, asked him the elite field and then run 233. Like, how does, how did you know what to pace yourself at? My goal going in to, besides just to like feel good, um, was yeah, just to qualify. Um, and not to say just, I mean, qualifying is a really awesome like thing. Um, but it was basically like 559 pace for like the first 20 miles and then like see how I feel. Cause I'd never raced a distance like longer than like before that 20 mile, I never raced a distance longer than 15 K. Um, so, and people are always like during a marathon, like 20, 21 miles is when it really like hits. And so I was like, I want to be conservative. So I got there. Um, I'm kind of listening in the elite lounge to like what people are thinking of doing. And I hear this group of women talking about just going 630 pace. And I was like, what? Like, okay. I mean, okay. 
And then I get to the front of the, like, I get near the front of the line and the reigning champion of the marathon was there. And I asked her, or she asked me what I was doing. And I said, OTQ. And I said, cool, same. Uh, or she said, same. And I said, I was going for 559 pace. She said, similar 558, but we can work together. Um, I'd never looked at my watch during a race. I didn't look at my watch once during the 20 miler. Um, but I knew for the marathon, I was going to have to, and that was really annoying, but I was like, I, I, I got to do it. Um, so we went off. Um, she seemed to have been going out a little bit quick. So I just kind of like stuck behind her. I didn't go out with her. Um, three or four miles in, I seemed to naturally be running with this group of guys. I asked them what they're running. They said 555 pace. And I was like, cool, that seems a bit quick, but like, I'll stick with you guys. And then around like six or seven miles, um, you know, our watches are going off, mine's going off before the mile marker, like everyone's watches are going off at different times. Like there's no clock on the field or whatever. Some guys like, oh, that was 608. Some guys like, oh, that was 605. Mine's saying 548. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I don't want to be running 605 pace. And it was just driving me crazy. But I knew the first couple of miles um, were like, kind of like faster, like closer to 550. So I knew there was some wiggle room and I just didn't know that there was more 550 miles in there. Um, then I, but I kind of went off that like six times six minus six kind of method, you know, like I'm going for 559 pace. So that's like 36 minutes for six miles, like minus the six seconds. And so roughly by doing those calculations, I was like, okay, I feel like I'm, I have some wiggle room here. And then, yeah, I got annoyed with all of our watches going off and I was like, I'm just going to go off a of feel. And so by mile, like eight, I just started kind of going off a of feel. I just was like, I know I'm good at getting to a rhythm and that's just what I'm going to do. And I seem feel like I have some like wiggle room to not be super fixated on my watch. And yeah, I just started going off a of feel. I ended up catching up to that girl. <clears throat> And uh, she asked me how I felt, asked her how she felt. <clears throat> she said that we were going around 550 pace and that we should probably slow down. Um, There's a long way to go in the marathon. Um, we don't want to push it. And, you know, I think she was just like kind of like looking out for me, um, but kind of similar to how I felt in like cross nationals, you know, when I caught up to Jenny, like. I just didn't want to sit anymore. You know, I just wanted to go off of how I felt. And I felt like I just wanted to follow my own rhythm. And that's what I did. So I, you know, passed along, like passed by her. And then I was alone for the rest of the marathon um, with the, the lead bicyclist. Yeah, I looked at my watch, you know, a couple times, you know, I knew at mile 20, I should be like <clears throat> around like two hours. I like looked at my watch at mile 20. It seemed like I had some room. Um, and so then I didn't really look at my watch maybe once or twice again during the race. Um, but at that point, I just was kind of just in autopilot. Um, I do have to say at mile 21, I thought I was like, must be running six minute pace. Um, I had no idea I was negative splitting the thing and that I was running faster than that. But yeah, that's kind of how I approached it was just like going off of feel just kind of, that's the way I know how to run. I think if it was more of an elite 
like marathon, you know, if, as I continue to do them as I, as I would like to, um, you know, I'll, I'll have more, if there'll be more like, I don't know, pace cars or whatever they have, or there'll be people who know what pace they're running, but. So you felt really good physically, legs are feeling good. How are you feeling, you know, psychologically and emotionally during the race? Like, were you able to find some joy in running fast in a race? Yeah, um, absolutely. I, uh, I think that was the best part about it. You know, I think like, and it makes me like emotional even talking about it now. It's just like, I like, that's the joy of running that like I have missed and like to have been able to find that in, in my runs with friends, but like in these races has just been like so monumental. Um, but yeah, it was just, I had a smile on my face, like the entire time, like some guy yelled at me, he's like, why the hell are you smiling? You're running a freaking marathon. And I'm like, I'm just happy. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, absolutely. There was so much joy, like not just at the finish line, but throughout the, the whole time. And so you, you can tell me if this question is fair or not, maybe yeah. I'm reaching, but you've kind of mentioned two like reasons for running when you're in kind of different head spaces, like you found joy in the marathon, but other times your training has just been like specifically to quiet your mind, you know, not necessarily, not necessarily for the joy of running. So do you think that finding joy and having success in this race will help you kind of change the way you approach your daily running and maybe do it for more of the joy of the sport rather than just kind of almost a self-medication? Does that question make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, and, and it's one I've thought about a lot and I think, yeah, I think the answer is yes. I think, um, you know, that's been, you know, my brother's been constantly checking up on me uh, since the race to kind of, cause I know that that's a punch like a, that, that is achievable for me. You know, I know that like, I, you know, I can use this race to help continue to have moments like this. Like this doesn't need to be like, like the end, you know, like use this as fuel. Um, and, uh, and also allow me to approach, you know, um, the marathon in a different way. I mean, obviously using some of the, the, you know, strategies I have, but, um, have, have used, um, but, you know, adopting new ones that will overall make me, make me happier. And, um, yeah. I think a big part of that also was uh, a, a big achievement in this race was fueling. I had never fueled during a run or a race ever um, besides like 10 jelly beans, um, like jelly bellies that I ate during the 20 miler, which is like calorically nothing. Um, but I had met with a dietitian, a dietitian who I'd worked with in the past and I told her I was I'm signing up for a marathon, doing it in a week. Give me an idea of what I should be doing. Um, they always tell you not to try anything new race day, but that's exactly what I did. And um, yeah, we can't, I had four Mortons, um, never had them before. I had tried a caffeinated one once during a long run because they were sponsoring our long run at Trackmouth and it immediately made me run to the bathroom. So she told me don't do the caffeinated ones. And uh, 
it was a really lovely experience as someone who's had a longstanding eating disorder to be in a race, feel so good and to have seen the, the benefits of fueling and bigger than that to have not even thought about it. It was just kind of like, just clockwork. It was just instinct. You know, I just was like sucking on the Mortons the entire time. I didn't rip them down like most people do. And then I was just slowly doing it throughout the race because I've not been used to it, but it was, that was also huge. So talk about like an experience with running and that carrying you forward and enjoying that. Like that was a huge thing with fueling. Um, because it's like, you know, that's been another thing with my heavy training. I definitely have not been getting as like the nutrients I've needed. And so that was an indicator of like, look, partly when you do these things, like, you know, like there is like the world is your oyster, you know, like there's so much out there for you. So one thing you mentioned early on was like, you don't want to glorify your training because to the common person, it's, you know, pretty crazy. We'll say, but I'm curious your to get inside your head here. Like you, you're saying, let's not glorify it, but then like you're, you still are, are doing it. So how do you balance like the do as I say, not as I do type for your own training as well though? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that's something I've struggled with for a long time is I think I'm really good at like giving advice, but like not good at really taking it myself. Um, and I think that that's like, you know, the eating disorder that I deal with, that's just like always just trying to hurt me. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, this has been like the biggest thing that I've trying to get my head around since, um, you know, achieving such a like, monumental thing is like I achieved this at a point of like you know the past couple months have been pretty great in terms of like I've been socializing a lot more than I have in a long time and that feels incredible but I achieved this like this off of you know really not being kind to my body you know I've like um you know you can run high mileage and stuff like that and um fuel yourself better and it can definitely be a healthier thing but for me like that wasn't the case you know I just that's what I'm you know really going to be trying to work through with like my therapist and myself is just the fact that like I really do mean it when I say that I achieve this and I want it this is fuel to have me approach running and um, see where my potential can go in a much healthier way I think the biggest thing will be achieving this like having positive reinforcement for something that's like pretty negative you know like it's you know that's really hard because it's like okay well overtraining and starving myself like that seems to like seem to have worked you know and that's but it, reframing that to be like well if you achieve this off of that like think about what you can do when all these other things are in place. Um, but that's a lot easier said than done, you know? It's like, as, I mean, we're all runners here. We know what's, you know, men and female, we know um, how, you know, body image and things like that are, you know, portrayed in the running world. And it's like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of really, really tiny people who are excelling. And not that those people are doing what I'm doing at all, but it's just, 
it's it's hard it, it paints an image that like you know skinny is faster like under fueling can you know or being lighter is makes you faster you know it's just yeah so i it's hope that someone answers your question it's kind of interesting because most i think a lot of people have a good performance and it motivates them to like do more of what they're doing but in your case it's really important that this performance motivates you to do less you know like you're you're running 200 miles is is almost definitely too much you know cross training off that is definitely too much like and as you know you're going to run better when you're fueled and energized and so how do you how are you framing it like oh this is a great performance like what can i do when i do less because you'll run faster. Yeah, definitely. Like what I'm tentative or like right currently working on. Um, I think a big thing is um, structure for me. Um, I think that that's huge. Um, I think, uh, you know, not working. I, I mean, I've been a caretaker the past couple of months, but that's not, that hasn't really taken that much of my time. But I, um, creating a lot more structure around things that are running besides just the active running. Um, so, you know, starting to set more time for lifting. Like I haven't lifted a weight in a year. Like that's not like, you know, I had gotten a massage before the, uh, I had a favorite masseuse in Ithaca who I saw like right before. And she was like, you have to start lifting. Like your, your bones aren't going to like hold up to this. So like, getting excited about that rather than, you know, going out and running those extra eight miles or, um, you know, surrounding myself with like, I don't know, more people. Um, like I've been really immersing myself in like the Trapsmith community here, which has been nice. Um, but I really would like to find a team ultimately. Um, that's, I think, I think what I've, you know, I think what was the best about running at Ithaca was I had a lot of those structures in place and out of college, I just don't have that. And working with Kurt was great, but he's in Providence and I don't really have a team around that. Um, and I really, I want, you know, that's been one of the biggest things over the past couple of months, like is just running with people. And um, so I have like that's my kind of my goal. And I think would be super helpful in terms of it's not, it's definitely not a fix. I'm not, I don't think of it as I'm going to find a team. Everything is going to be great, but I do think that I know myself and structure is really important as well as um, community. And I think that that would be um, very helpful in terms of really limiting that training, like taking that down. Um, and uh, yeah. It excites me to also to think about it in that way, which is like you said, it's kind of like opposite of most people. They just want to continue doing the same thing they're doing. But I just think that, yeah, like I didn't taper before the marathon, you know, like I, I just, there's so many things that are there, like right out in front of me that are like, partly if you do this, just think about like what you could really do. So you know, in the past, what was it five days since the race? You know, you just mentioned that, like think about what you can do. Have you allowed yourself? Have you allowed yourself to like dream about what that could be? Whether it's like time or whether it's like where it takes you, or just still like kind of processing this performance and not really thinking about what the next time could 
be? Yeah, I've, def I've definitely thought about it. Um, I, uh, I'd like to, I mean, I'm signed up for Berlin um, in the fall. I'd like to, I think that will be something that I'm shooting to run pretty fast at. I think given all the, you know, I think once I'm able to accept that, um, accept that the approach to the, like understand kind of what I was talking about earlier that like my, that just because I achieved this at a point of suffering doesn't mean that my reversing it is going to make me slower. I think once I like am able to like process that and also see the results of my pulling pulling back um like i i'd like to run sub 230 you know i i i really believe that that was and honestly i think i can definitely run faster um but you know this is going to be my second marathon you know i i i don't want to get like I don't want to set the bar like super high. And I think I'm not someone who really needs to, to do that. I think if I get those other things in line, I think it just happens kind of like, you know, I, but I don't know. My, my, <laughs> my knowledge is pretty limited in terms of like <laughs> training clearly. So, but I think sub two thirty would be sick for a second marathon. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, on the right track. And I think for almost every athlete I've ever met, the key to running faster is one thing it's longevity. And so it's like, how long, how long can you stay in the sport and what do you have to do to support, you know, a body making it through years and years in the sport? Because like, if you do that, you're going to get faster and that's the key. And so it's like your second marathon, are you going to run faster? Who knows? Probably. But like, if you're in it for five, six years, like, I think that's when you can really start to dream really big because you are showing like really big talent in the marathon. That's not a question. That was just me talking. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I, I think that it's like, yeah, absolutely key. Like, I'm surprised my body hasn't, you know, knock on wood, like that it hasn't had more issues, you know, because with mileage and, you know, the way I'm approaching my training, I think that most people would be like, you know, how have you not? broken down so I'd, I'd like to you know keep my longevity as like long as long like i'd like to prioritize that for sure yeah we haven't talked a lot about eating disorders or disordered eating on the podcast and appreciate you being open about it and also too i want to make it like i don't have a whole lot of experience talking about it either with people so if i misuse a word or miss talk about it in a long, wrong way, let me know. Or if you don't even want to talk about it, totally understand. But you seem to be pretty open with it and also checked yourself into the place in Denver to, you know, to work on your disordered eating. How did you, I guess, from my experience, at least knowing about it, it's tough to have the awareness to put yourself, to check yourself in. I guess, where did that awareness for you come from to be able to check yourself in versus someone else doing it for you? And you don't have to answer if you don't want to like kind of bring back those bad memories. No, it's okay. I, uh, I, uh, I think it's a good thing to talk about and I want other people to feel like it's an okay thing to talk about too. Um, I, uh, yeah. So like I said, I was running 30 miles a day 
Um, I just get up and, and grind and then go to work. And uh, basically just the life that I was like, it just wasn't sustainable. Like talk about longevity. I just like, I, uh, I think basically, you know, I was doing that for a couple months and losing weight. And um, some days I would wake up and I'm like, I can't do this. And then I would end up just say like calling out of work and just staying on the couch all day, like not leaving the couch. And, but I was like, okay, you're going to get up tomorrow and you're going to like, you're going to get those 30 miles in. And then I would, I'd get up and I'd just, you know, get back on that grind. And then um, those days where I didn't get those 30 miles in were just like awful. Like, you know, I just was so sad. Um, And then it was one, I saw it, you know, I had one of those days and I woke up to do the 30 miles. I was like, you got to do it. You didn't do it yesterday. I got up, I ran like down the street. I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't do this. And um, I called my like best friend Cole here in Boston. And uh, I was like, I just got to go. And it was something that I had been thinking, like toying about, like toying back and forth about, like since like August. And this was like mid-November. And my my debt brother was like, you should do this. And but it was definitely something you have to come to by yourself, you know, like you I think you get forced into those environments. And I was fortunate, like, not that I could have really been forced in by my parents, but I think that's something that like you know, you need to make that choice for yourself because that means like you're ready to do that work, you know? And um, yeah, so I just, it was like a a second day of not being able to run and uh, just kind of breaking down and being like, I am so fucking hungry. And uh, that's, I was, I literally, I called my dad. I was like, dad, I gotta go. And I was like, I gotta go now. And uh, luckily they had a spot for me and because uh, I knew like if much more time would pass, I would just talk myself out of it again. And so within like 32 hours, I had gotten like packed up and on my way to Denver. You mentioned at the top of the show that this particular eating disorder treatment facility specializes in working with elite athletes. Uh, you mentioned Ali Ostrander had been checked in there. I mean, it's really hard because the one thing elite elite athletes want to do is train. And that's often the thing that you really don't need to be doing when recovering from eating disorder, especially right at first. So what kind of strategy or what was their message to you when you first checked in, you know, like knowing your mindset as an elite athlete, but also having to confront this problem? Yeah. I mean, once I got there, I knew I wasn't going to be able to exercise. And I honestly was like, thank God. Like I didn't want to run, you know, I wasn't waking up every morning being like, yeah, I got to run 30 miles. Like, so like getting there was just such a relief and then getting to eat on top of that. Cause I committed like kind of like that athlete mentality. Like I got there and I was like, I'm going to complete every meal. I was like, I like, I want to, I love food, but like, if you don't, there's like these measurements and things you have to do. If you, if you don't complete it, I was like, I'm going to eat every meal. I'm going to do that. And, um, but yeah, I wasn't able, I knew neck exercise was off the table. Um, I didn't know how long it was for, um, 
And uh, that's something that I felt like was, you know, eating disorders are so manipulative and controlling and so individualized. So I don't even know, like as someone treating them, like how you really approach those things. But it definitely was like, I think some more movement um, could have been involved in the program, which I think ultimately was a big, a big reason as to like why I eventually left. I was there for three months, but it was like, you couldn't, sometimes you'd get yelled at for excessive standing or like walking. And it was just like, okay. Like I just, I ended up getting walking privileges, which was really nice, but I only get to go on like three 15 minute walks a day or a week. And it just was, it was like after the first, like, you know, two, three weeks, it was just like, okay, like I gotta have a little bit more movement and how much of that was the eating disorder. I don't know. It's always hard. I think with an eating disorder really to identify the eating disorder mind in the individual. Um, and, uh, but I just also was like, I've, I've been an active person since I was a little girl, you know, like I've always moved. Um, so, um, and then eventually like, you know, I was, I started going to see a, like, uh, they have a coach there for the athletes and I'd start lifting with them like very, very lightly, like once a week. And, um, I was like, I just, can you guys give me a little bit more movement? And they weren't willing to, you know, they were like, we have to really understand why this movement is so important to you. Um, and were they wrong in that approach? Like, I can't say no. I think there's a lot of validity to that. Um, but I also don't think there's one way for everyone. But in a like a in a organization like that, like you operate basically on one way. You have a lot of adaptive, like you're adaptable to some people, but like it's the idea of like if people want to move and they're not like willing not to, like we're not gonna let them until we unpack that and um I have a lot of like childhood trauma and like things like that. So there was like, I wasn't, I can't just unpack this stuff like right away, but like, can you please let me go for a walk or a run? Um, so that's kind of how it looked like was just. Did the freedom of movement ultimately influence your decision to leave? I mean, you were there for three months. That's a long time. Were you like discharged? Did you decide to leave? Is there some compromise? How, how does leaving work? Yeah, I decided to leave. So I would say they would say like I left against clinical recommendation. Um, I, and it wasn't really the fact that like, it was just, I started showing up like every day and I just like that motivation just like wasn't there. Like, and it was I don't even know if that's the right word because I definitely want to get better, but I just felt like I couldn't be putting ener the energy. It's very repetitive. You do the same thing every day, like, or you do you have the same week and the week just repeats itself. And I felt like <clears throat> I had some issues with like the clinical staff and wasn't really able to get the work done that I felt like I was needing to. So I just felt like I was stagnant. You know, I wasn't going anywhere. Um, and so I had conversations. I was like, I want to leave because like X, Y, and Z, like, I feel like you all aren't like really listening to me. And 
everything was kind of just blamed on my eating disorder. It's like, this isn't you, this is your eating disorder wanting to leave. And I'm sure, yeah, my eating disorder, hell yeah, I wanted to leave. But I felt like I was just, nothing was me. Like, Harley wasn't being heard and I was already struggling to know who I was and so it just was like I had no one there you know like my family was across the country and I there was a lot of things that happened in that environment where people would come to me with very scary things and it was that was taking a toll on me you know people with eating disorders and recovering from eating disorders it can be a very hard, you know, there's a reason that they try and create boundaries between those people, but there's only so much you can do when you're literally with these people 24 seven. So yeah, I left against clinical recommendation. I just felt a little lost though. And I didn't really know what my other alternatives were. It sounds like now in Boston, you know, you said you're socializing with Tracksmith. It sounds like you have a, a good support system, you know, around you right now. What does it kind of look like from a you know, a broad view of like your entire support system right now? Yeah. Um, I have a therapist um, and I see her like once or twice a week. Um, And she's been great Um, just to kind of be able to just word vomit, vomit and just kind of unload. Um, And last fall I started ketamine infusions. Um, and so I've been, I've been doing that. Like I started doing, I did them for twice a week and now I do them once a week. And I found that to be really helpful and not necessarily with my eating disorder, but I think it's allowed me to become a lot more comfortable with who I am. And that's been something I've really struggled with, you know, as someone who has a lot of, as many problems as I feel I do, it's been really hard to kind of come to terms with that. And so to be able to, you know, start to accept that and understand that it's okay to have these struggles has been huge. Um, so I do that once a week. Um, and then I have a psychiatrist um, and, uh, you know, I talk to them like once a month. Um, and I, you know, reached out to my dietitian before the marathon and I think I would like to start um, talking with her more. Um, I just know that I need a little bit more structure around my training before I can really commit to that piece. Um, because I think that those working side by side together is just the best way in which I operate is just like, you know, having my plan running wise laid out for me and then having the nutrition part too. Um, and then my family, you know, they've, my, I'm staying with my dad now. I just moved out of my place in Boston, um, because I, (laughs) Ironically enough, I thought the city was way too much for me and overstimulating, and then I moved out. And then as soon as I moved out, I started running with a lot of the tracks in the community here and developing a lot of friends. And now I spend more time here than I do in Maine. Um, but that's fine. You know, they're, they're, they're close to each other, and um, I'm fortunate to be able to have both places to hop back and forth between. Um, and yeah, so my family and then a growing group of friends. I feel like I'm making, you know, more and more friends every day, which is a really, really nice way to feel because I definitely was a hermit for, you know, I'd say the past year or so. So let's pull you back to kind of the aftermath of Carmel when you, you know, cool down, take a shower, you're back at the hotel or whatever. You know, what was the outreach like? What kind of positive messages were you getting? And 
Did you hear from anybody you were surprised to hear from? I think a lot of people take a lot of pride when they know somebody who made the Olympic trial. So yeah, kind of take us through the reaction to it. Yeah. Um, well, the first thing I thought about when you, what you said is cool down. Uh, my, I was, I usually am like a four mile cool down person. I was like, did okay. I, did I say cool down? Did I say that? Yeah, oh, like I don't believe in cooling down after marathons. Just like for the record, I must've just like, my brain just stopped working for a second. <laughs> it's okay. Like, I, wanna, I, I will actually second that fact because I'm usually, I'm, you know, I've never, no, having never done it before, I didn't know about the cool down of a marathon. And um, I was like, oh, I'll do two miles. I like start running and I'm like, oh my God, like I, like I can't, I can't really move that well. But, you know, I was like, okay, partly just like, you know, I thought there was a purpose, like there's a purpose of a cool down. So I was like, probably just try and get something in. So I pushed through and I ran like 0.6 miles in 10 minutes. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm done. Um, so that was my cool down. But then I just, I just made sure to like, um, keep moving. You know, I just like kept those legs moving, walking upstairs, walking around. Um, but in terms of just like people and their reactions, um, yeah, I, at the actual marathon, there wasn't, you know, there were a couple of people who said congratulations. There was um, a few of the elites who, you know, had overheard that was my first marathon. One in particular who um, had talked to me at the beginning of the race, um, Holly, and she was just awesome. She was like, she ended up, she was going to run the marathon and just try and hold 630 pace, but she ended up dropping out the half and um, she knew my goals and she just ran up to me and she's like, fuck yeah, Parley, like, I'm so proud of you. And that was just really, really special because I think she knew how much, like, you know, how worried I was or anxious I was on the line and everything. Um, but yeah, I feel like everyone and I don't know, I forgot what the saying is everyone and their mom or whatever was texting me. <laughs> I like was hearing from like, you know, family who I haven't talked to in years. And I was like, my mom must have texted everyone in her phone. Um, and it was Mom, nice. Moms really like to do that. In my yeah. experience, did you get a, did you get a mom Facebook post? I did. I did get yeah. a mom Facebook post. Those are big. <laughs> um, and like, it was so nice, but I like said to my mom, I was like, mom, you know how bad of a texter I am. And you just gave me like 50 more people. I have to text back. Um, but I, I think I, yeah, I got a lot of new Strava followers. So going into the marathon, I mean, you knew I didn't sign up before like a week before, but I also was <laughs> being a very self-critical person. I didn't want to tell anyone. So I only told like uh, my friend Leanne here and one other person and then my family. When I passed through Ithaca, they ended up finding out because they were like, why the hell are you going to Indiana? But I didn't tell anyone. So it's just like when my Strava posted, like all my friends who I had been running with are like, what the heck? Like we had no idea. Like I didn't even tell my best friend. And then he called me crying, which was really, really sweet. Um, but yeah, so there was a lot of reactions that I didn't really like know because no one knew. And so everyone was just really caught off guard. Um, and uh, yeah, post-race, I like told my dad the first thing I wanted was a burger. So we went and got burgers and beers. And then 
I uh, dropped him off at the airport and didn't really know what to do with the rest of my day because I was leaving the next morning. So I went to the, the after party that they hosted and uh, at the winery and um, ended up like running into the, the director and he's like, who are you? And I was like, I'm Parley. And he's like, you're Parley. Because we both were like, you know, I was email, emailing him and he wasn't sure if he was going to even let me into the race. And he's like, oh my God like you are crazy and then he just like you know grabs me and takes me outside and he's like this is like Harley Hammond this is her first marathon she just ran 233 like she's crazy and then I just hung out with all the Indianians or I, I don't think that's even a word but Hoosiers 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 yeah I, I hung out with all the Hoosiers um I felt like a celebrity there was people like they're like taking pictures of me and posting them on their Instagram. Um, one who like adopted me as her like second mom. Um, and I got to share my story like somewhat, a lot of much briefer like synopsis of it with them. And they found that like very inspiring and um, yeah, it was a really wholesome time. Um, so that was really nice to kind of you know, I thought it was going to be a little bit harder being completely alone, but it was really nice to kind of get the full Hoosier, Indiana experience. Um, it's good for a whole, Indiana is good for a wholesome time. Yeah. Um, so I got that wholesome time and then, yeah, I just FaceTimed friends intermittently throughout the day. And that was really, really nice just to, I don't know. I love FaceTiming friends. Um, and I just was really, really happy. I just, I was, just was proud and shocked. You know, I went in um, hoping for an OTQ and walked away with, you know, a much bigger margin than I had anticipated. So I definitely felt really, really loved and supported, you know, and that was, uh, I always knew I, I was and I am, but, you know, the race definitely brought, know reminded me of that yeah the community outreach probably was like incredible to just have people you know talk to you and i was like the results and like it took me by surprise because i was like wait i didn't realize like similar to we started off with like i didn't realize you were you know running that competitively it's almost like you did the anti-running influencer like don't post about it at all like is all your training on strava like for people to like see kind of what you're doing yeah, so like I said, like I, like I, I'm kind of, I'm I'm a little embarrassed about my training. Like, like I said, I don't like to glorify the training I do. So I don't post everything, you know, like I'll post my runs. Now that I, I say only run two hours a day. Like now that I do that, I'll post that, but like, I won't post my elliptical. Um, and so, yeah, I don't post. I'm a, I guess I'm, I don't know what, what would the word be for that. I guess I'm not like really honest on Strava because I don't post everything. I'm selective um, of it. Um, so race-wise, Berlin sounds like it's your next big goal. Is there anything kind of between now and then that you're really excited about or just goals you have in general leading up to that? Yeah, I think my biggest goal right now is to like find a team um I'm you know the reason I'm floating back and forth right now is because I'm trying to figure out where I want to live so I'm pretty open 
um, to moving. Um, I've reached out to like Ben Rosario and like Nazalie. I think that that's a pretty big like dream, but I think that um, that would probably be my like top choice right now. I think that's just like, I could really see myself there. Um, but I also like, I don't, that's, yeah, that's kind of my, my thought is kind of just have Berlin on the cards right now. I'm sure like, you know, my friends at Tracksmith will run a race and I'll hop in and do that for fun and the social aspect. Um, but I think the number one goal is trying to figure out like, and I know you and I had somewhat talked about it, Noah, like when I had first gone out of college, like teams and, you know, looking into that, um, and uh but i'm still just a little bit of a newbie of it so just trying to like reach out to people who might be of assistance for me to kind of guide me in the right directions of how how one goes about this yeah yeah and happy to talk about it again uh off air whenever you want um harley it's been we've done like 100 episodes since we talked to you last so it's been really cool to have you back we'll uh we'll definitely you know put a link to your first episode in the in the show notes here but uh yeah when sue texted me that you ran 233 i was really happy for you and i think we're both glad to have you back on the show we appreciate your time yeah no thank you for having me i was definitely really excited when i saw your your dm come through and uh i'm so glad that d3 glory days is thriving so much it's nice to see And that's all for another episode of D3 Glory Days. Stu and I thank you so much for tuning in. We're really grateful to Parley for her time and honesty in telling her story. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for supporting this podcast. All the links are down in the show notes below. If you want more Division 3 D3 Glory Days content, we'll be back in your podcast feed very soon. And until that day, here's to the Glory Days. Mm-hmm.